south of the border, down Mexico way. That's where I fell in love when the stars above came out to play. And now as I wander. Hello there, all you expat wannabes. I'm Johnny Mueller, and you're listening to The Expat Files, Living in Latin America, the show that tells you just what it's like to live, work, play, and or retire down here in Latin America. It's a mix of the good, the bad, the ugly, and the great, and it's all right here, so let's get started. Now, here's something that needs to be said. You know, I get a lot of emails, and occasionally some fresh green gringo will write and say to me something like, Johnny. You tell lots and lots of stories about the corruption in Latin America. How do you put up with it? All the lying, corrupt politicians, lawyers, and businessmen, etc., etc. How is it that you don't flinch when you have to bribe a cop or pay some gopher to sit in line for you at the immigration office? How can you take it so calmly? Well, I say, it's a good question. Maybe it's because I come from Chicago. Latin America kind of reminds me of what a Chicago politician, my sister's godfather, once told me. He said, it's not corruption, it's just how we do things here. (laughs) Now, many people, when they think of Chicago, they think of corruption, right? Then again, Chicago is known as the Windy City, and it's also known as the city that works. You've probably heard that before. The thing is, how could it be so damn corrupt and still be the city that works? Well, it surely ain't the city that works anymore. I'm talking about when I was a kid and lived there. Now, it's a complete war zone. Then again, so is every major city in a democratically controlled state. Anyhow, I had a very interesting young life. I saw people getting greased and people climbing the ladder for just being related to someone or friends with a politician. That was how things went down in Chicago. You long-time listeners might remember I had a job during the summer of my university years. I was a beneficiary of that very system, getting a government job based on who you know. I was on the Chicago Dead Dog Crew. Who do you think picks up all the dead dogs, cats, skunks, etc.? Someone's got to do it right. Well, for a while, it was me. Even that totally shit government job was a patronage job that my dad obtained from me through his political buddies. Oh, and when my brothers and my sisters were on college summer break, they all got golf course jobs at city courses. Just a phone call from my dad to his childhood buddies who were now well-placed in the Chicago political machine made that possible. Oh, and in Chicago, if you wanted to work for the park district, let's say, you kicked back two weeks' pay to the union steward or the guy who got you the spot. Back then, if an old-timer wanted his kid on the Chicago Fire Department, he became a ward captain and got out the vote. People would pay off government slugs to get a cab driving permit. And if a cop pulled you over, you had a 50 clipped onto your license when he said, license and registration, please. That was the easy way to see if he'd take a bribe or not. You never mentioned it, so he could never accuse you of offering a bribe. But if he took it, handed your license back, and said, drive carefully now, well, that was how things went in Chicago. Of course, you'd never try that with the state patrol. They were incorruptible, but state was not Chicago. Chicago was its own entity. In Chicago, everyone knew if you paid off the cop who pulled you over, it was much cheaper and convenient than going down to the courthouse taking a couple hours off of work, fighting the traffic in the loop, and paying the fine. Sure, the politicians were corrupt. Why else would they be politicians? By the way, the absence of this understanding in the minds of Gen Y and Zers, you know, the young adults today, just shows why their cerebral cortexes are not fully formed yet. You know, neurologists say it's 28 for males and 22 for females. And 
Never for transsexuals. <laughs> oh, and another thing. Was it terrible to be a black in Chicago back in those days when I was a kid? Probably. But my black buddies like Gary Reese and Jeff Grimes never said so. And Jeff Grimes, he ended up graduating college and marrying a hot white Catholic girl. Doing a lot better than some of my white high school buddies, that's for sure. And my best bohonk buddy, Eddie Lechansky, his parents escaped the Polish pogroms and his grandparents died in Russian gulags. In all those years in junior high and high school, he only mentioned that to me once. And it never registered. What did I know when I was 13 about Polish pogroms and Russian gulags? After all, back then, Solzhenitsyn hadn't smuggled his book out yet. Whoever heard of the gulag archipelago? That didn't even hit the bookshelves till the mid or late 70s. Anyway, my bohonk buddy Eddie, his father, had a tailor shop and had many well-dressed mobster clients who heavily overtipped him. We'd sometimes ride our bikes there on Saturday and watch some mobster get fitted for an expensive suit. Yep, that was the Chicago of my youth. Riding around everywhere, no place off limits, on my Schwinn Stingray with the banana seat and the angel bars. Yeah, Chicago was different, all right. In Chicago, politicians went on trial all the time, but never went to jail. But, coincidentally, almost all Illinois governors regularly went to jail. Go figure, huh? So, when people ask me why I'm able to countenance the corruption in Latin America, when I got down here and saw it firsthand, I didn't lose much sleep over it. Maybe it was because I grew up in Chicago. And again, for all its corruption, it was known as the city that worked. Not anymore, but it used to be. Oh, and by the way, you may have seen that Tucker Carlson interview with the gay guy who said he had sex with Obama multiple times. Way back when Obama was first starting to get into politics. When he'd just been elected Illinois state senator representing the south side of Chicago. Well, you can believe it or not. But people ask me all the time, what's my take on it, being that I'm from Chicago? The scene of the alleged crime, well, it used to be a crime anyway. Nowadays, if you're gay, lesbian, or fluid, you get celebrated. It's practically a badge of honor. The question is, did it really happen? Well, those kind of rumors weren't exactly unknown in the 1980s and 90s in Chicago. In fact, my two next-door neighbors, an older gay couple, were really in the know about that kind of stuff. They worked for the Chicago Tribune. One had a byline every day, and the other in charge of the arts and entertainment section of the trip. At the time, they were closeted, of course, you know, those were the days. Until the weekends came, then they'd throw some wild parties sometimes. I was buddies with them ever since I plowed their snow the very first day they moved in. Turns out the house next door to me went up for sale. And I heard the new neighbors, whoever they were, were moving in on a Saturday. Well, Saturday came, it was a deep snow, and I figured, hey, I'll do a good deed. I took my snow plow, you know, in Chicago, we all had gas snow plows. I plowed their lot, a big corner lot, and the very next morning, there's a knock on my door. There's two guys standing there with a giant gift basket, a big thank you gift for plowing their snow. I mean, who does that? What a great gesture, huh? From then on, they invited me to all their parties, and I'd never go alone. <laughs> always brought my girlfriend. Anyway, funny thing, too, those parties were always conservative, very low-key bashes. They'd have a piano player from the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. There'd be doctors, lawyers, people from the Tribune, like Siskel and Ebert would be there. At the time, they were also big-time movie critics. Remember at the movies, thumbs up and all that? But at midnight, right around midnight, when all the conservative people at the party would have left, that's when the party got wild. 
That's when some of those stoic doctors, lawyers, and politicians got kind of happy and gay, if you know what I mean. Anyway, I remember many times sitting at one of their weekend parties with my girlfriend back in the 80s, where one or more of their guests were talking about Obama's unusually rapid rise in politics. They'd say things like, we've finally got one of ours in there. They would talk about how he was often seen in a place called the Russian Steam Baths, a pure gay hangout back then. I remember one guy had pictures of him and Obama standing around the steam baths in white toga robes. They showed me the photos. It was common knowledge. Of course, back then, the guy had a pretty low profile. He was in local politics and not on anyone's national radar. But I remember at those parties, they used to talk about him. Anyway, maybe it's a Chicago thing. I mean, the way people from Chicago accept a certain amount of corruption as normal. I mean, look, where else but Chicago would your high school Italian buddy call you up and say, Johnny, what are you doing right now? The boss is out of town. I'm in charge. Come on over to the restaurant. We'll hang and I'll give you a free meal. And when I get there, he's all alone behind the bar. There's almost no one in the place. He says, hey, Johnny, you want to see a million dollars? I said, what? He said, come here. He walks me around the back of the bar. There's a safe on the floor with the door cracked open a bit. He flips it open with his foot and he says, oh, I was wrong. I think there's more like two million in there today. And my jaw dropped. I said, you mean to say they have that kind of money in the safe and they leave it open like that? He gave me a weird face and said, Johnny. Nobody in the world would ever think to rob this place. So maybe that's why I don't flinch when some gringo down here in Latin America complains about having to bribe a cop, getting stopped and having to fork over 20, maybe 50 bucks, whatever. You know, I actually prefer that to living in the U.S. and working till July for the U.S. government. You know, if you do the numbers, the average working American doesn't make dime one for himself until July 1st of every year. You should really ask yourself, what do you get for paying half of your income to the U.S. government in taxes? How about nothing? Of course, if you don't work or don't want to work or come in as an illegal, there's a hundred different giveaway programs you could take advantage of. But the average taxpaying working guy or gal keeps paying and paying, and what do they get in return? A lot of nothing and a lot of aggravation. And that works out to less than nothing. All right, moving on. How about this email from Richard K. in Virginia? He says, Johnny, I love the show, but I can't afford to come to your seminar. He says, I've done a lot of stupid things in my life, so I don't have much of a savings, not much of a nest egg at all. And because of that, getting out of Dodge is my only option. Thank God it's an option. Who would have thought that an American guy with a college education couldn't even retire comfortably in his own country? He says, I'm serious, Johnny. I've made so many stupid mistakes in my life that old age for me, I'm 56 years old now, would look very bleak if not for the practical option of being able to have a plan B, sort of thanks to you, Johnny, and being able to get the hell out of Dodge. Yes, over the years I've been stupid. My middle name should be stupid. Let me count the ways. Though some might say I'm just too nice of a guy, and nice guys, as we know, finish last. For starters, he said, I got a stupid, useless journalism degree. I selected journalism mostly because it was easy. Some of us at 18 years old aren't too smart when we're forced to select a major. So I thought, journalism, that's the ticket. So I could hang with my friends weeknights and weekdays and party and socialize because you really didn't have to study much. Though I did have visions, as most budding journalists do, of working for Rolling Stone magazine and interviewing celebrities and rock stars. Just as every kid on the basketball court thinks he's going to be the next Michael Jordan. Well, it hardly worked out at all. 
Never did go into journalism. Meanwhile, my twin sister got a chemistry degree and almost never partied. She hung with a brainy, though boring crowd, I thought, at the time. All of whom now pull in well over 100 k a year. Yep, stupid is as stupid does. The next stupid move I made was knocking up my sometimes girlfriend when I was 20. I'm on the pill, she said. Two months later, when I received that frantic phone call, she said, Yes, I'm on the pill, but sometimes I forget. Good Catholic girl that she was and her dad being a cop. So I got stuck with 18 years of child support for a kid that I only saw in court when more support was requested. Stupid mistake number three. I got married to someone else at 22. She already had a kid. We had two more kids. I got a vasectomy during the second pregnancy, a little too late. That vasectomy turned out to be the best decision of my life. Should have had it done when I was 12. The big lesson for me there was don't marry a woman with a kid. You'll always be last and get the leftovers. Stupid mistake number four. I enabled my kids, but I couldn't see it then. I bought one kid a car when he turned 18 and he wrecked it. He wrecked one of mine too. I let another one of my useless kids live in my house and eat my food well into his 30s. Stupid mistake number five. I bought a timeshare. 20000 down the drain. It's like taking out a loan and never being able to pay it off. At the time, though, it seemed like a good idea because I thought it would force me to take more vacations. Got sucked in by the sales pitch and the free weekend they give you for attending the spiel. You know who used it, though? My kids and their friends. And I paid for the airfare. How dumb was I? Yep, stupid is as stupid does. Stupid mistake number six. I lent 20 grand to a childhood friend. He's not my friend anymore. Stupid mistake number seven and eight. I co-signed a car loan and a home loan for my brother and one of my kids. You don't want to know how many family get-together screamathons we had over that. Stupid mistake number nine. I cheated on my wife with a coworker. That's why I have no savings now and rent instead of own. I got caught, got divorced, lost the house to my ex. Stupid mistake number 11. I was dumb about finances and depended on credit cards for everything. I was one who thought the more credit cards you have in your wallet, the more worldly and important you are. Man, never put a vacation trip on your credit card. That is the stupidest thing you can do. Especially if that vacation is a trip to Vegas. If you don't have the cash or savings, don't go. Putting anything on your credit card when you can only afford to pay the minimum monthly payments like paying for a dead horse forever. Stupid mistake number 12. I went nuts on funeral expenses when my dad died. The funeral directors know how to push your buttons. They get you when you're at your weakest, so you can be doubly stupid. Subtly hinting and jacking up the cost. Piling on the extras. Implying if you don't go deluxe, you'll look like a skin flint in front of your friends and relatives. You most certainly don't want to bury your dad in a pine box now, do you? As a result, I got sucked into spending 10k for a casket with the trimmings. A day later, when he was in the ground, no one remembered and I was out 10k. Stupid is as stupid does. So, Johnny, stupid decisions have been the trajectory of my life. And the main reason I can't live on my pension and Social Security like a decent human being when I retire. I estimate I'll be getting about 35000 a year between the both, and when I finally take retirement at 62, in six years I expect the U.S. dollar will probably have lost a quarter, even half its value to inflation. 
No American could live like a decent human being on that. That's why I'm working to get the hell out of Dodge. Just hope the world doesn't fall completely apart before I hit 62. Signed, Richard K. Stupid from Virginia. Wow, Richard, me Johnny here. I feel for you, man. But if there's one thing the U.S. provided, though not much anymore, was opportunity. It allowed all of us to make some very terrible and stupid mistakes and still recover. We could fail over and over, dust ourselves off, get up and start over again. But that's not quite the case anymore. That's what's so great about Latin America. There's huge opportunity here. That's the thing. No matter how dire it looks, we can still recover. As for me, I dodged a lot of those potholes you stepped in when I was still living up in the States. But you can chalk me up as an idiot for lending a couple of my friends dough, and now we're no longer on speaking terms. By the way, Richard, your advice about not hooking up with someone who's got kids. Obviously, the older you get, the rarer it is to find someone who doesn't have kids. And you know, lots of older guys and gals find themselves back in the dating game, which means most likely you're going to end up dating people with kids. The trick is, so I've been told, if you hook up with someone and they have kids, make sure those kids are out of the house and living on their own, and not still living in mom's basement, if you know what I mean. By the way, it doesn't matter how smart you are, you could still do some very stupid things, like getting sucked into buying a boat or a timeshare. (laughs) For example, my sister, who's a doctor, was engaged to a guy with two kids. One kid, autistic. The guy had custody on weekends, and my sister broke it off, broke the engagement off after about a year because she would become, she discovered, the designate nanny for the kids on weekends. And the autistic kid was oftentimes spastic and out of control. It wasn't even her kid. And the dad, nice guy, good father. But the whole kid situation, bad news all around for my sister. So she opted out. She said she felt guilty for a long time, but in the end, she knew she dodged a bullet. All of us are certainly not all that lucky. So how about you? How many really stupid things have you done in your life? Things that drastically impacted your future? I guess the more relevant question is, how many bullets have you dodged? Well, don't feel bad, not to worry. If you have taken some financial hits over the years, whether big or small, if you made some stupid decisions in the past that seemed pretty smart at the time, just remember, down here in Latin America, off the gringo trail, that is, you can live a nice, calm, fulfilled, first world kind of life on a measly social security check. And the average social security check in America now is something like 15 or 1600 bucks a month. The bad news is, as we get older, then comes the sad realization someday that you may just end up in a nursing home or immobilized at home or stuck in a wheelchair. In the words of Jim Morrison, no one here gets out alive. By the way, did you know I just looked this up, that the average median national cost of a home care nurse or visiting nurse, home caregiver, whatever, is $163 a day. That means if you live up in the States and you're stuck at home in a wheelchair or immobile or just can't get around, go to the store, hospital, whatever, to have someone come to your house eight hours a day, that's not even live in. Average median national cost, $163 a day. That's about five grand a month something that Medicare and Medicaid do not cover. Meanwhile, down here in Latin America, the average cost for a live-in caregiver or LPN nurse, four to 500 bucks a month, and she's living in. She's there 24-7. That would cover about three days for a home care nurse to come into your house in the States. Only three days. Funny thing, too, when I first got down here to Latin America, I couldn't believe every house I walked into, 
even tiny houses, one-bedroom apartments even. They had a room called a cuarto de servicio, basically a servant's quarters for the living maid. A tiny room, usually half of the size of a regular bedroom, with its own pint-sized bathroom and shower, too. In fact, many years ago, when I first walked into one of these cuarto de servicios, when checking out apartments to rent, I couldn't believe how tiny the sink and the toilet were. I mean, after seeing all those big old jumbo wide-body toilets up in the States, it almost looked laughable like a joke. And that was 30-plus years ago. The only toilets and sinks that even come close are the ones you see in airplanes. What pathetic jokes those things are. I'm sure, though, American toilet manufacturers are keeping up with the trends. They must have a finger on the pulse of the ever-expanding American backside. No joke, I'm not saying that to be cheeky. By the way, for you guys and gals who've been to Latin America already, have you seen one of those? Do you know what I'm talking about? Would be like a kitty toilet up in the States. But the concept is understandable, considering... Latin Americans are quite a bit shorter, lighter, and of a smaller frame than Americans up in the States. Though it's true, these days, Latin Americans are much fatter and more rotund than they ever were. That's true of everyone in the world. Either fortunately or unfortunately, no one seems to be starving anymore. Certainly, some are starving nutrition-wise, but not so much calorie-wise. Still, for most Latinos, those little toilets, sinks, and shower stalls are perfectly adequate. But you have to wonder, with all the gringles and expats coming down, some of them way over six feet tall. Others almost as wide, too. It's just got to shake a person's confidence a bit when he walks into a bathroom and sees a toilet sized for a guy like Peter Dinklage. I don't know about you, but for me, it's tough enough getting comfortable using someone else's bathroom. Add to that the discomfort of using someone else's bathroom in a foreign country. Even worse when the toilet's kind of miniaturized. Oh, well, you make do, right? Anyway, when I first got down here to Latin America... It used to be a kind of a snide joke between gringos. We'd laugh at the fact there'd be maids' quarters in houses that were lower middle class by our standards. In the States, we knew no one, not even rich people, who had live-in maids. Yet so many families here in Latin America in cracker box houses were able to pull it off. So, to us gringos and expats, seeing a maid's quarters in a house that would seem to be a virtual dump up in the States obviously made us rethink the idea of rich, poor, and middle class. You meet people here in Latin America all the time making 500 to 1000 bucks a month who have live-in mates. Yep, 500 to 1000 bucks a month. That's below poverty wages up in the States. You'd be amazed at the people down here who have live-in maids. Slash nanny. Slash caregiver for wheelchair-bound grandma. Keeping house full-time and living in that maid's quarters. The longer you live down here in Latin America, the sooner you discover that's a real thing. The maid's quarters comes in handy. It's not just for show. Now, for us gringos and expats living down here a while, we know sooner or later, we're eventually going to be a homebound person, possibly in a wheelchair. We all deteriorate, though some of us will linger on a long, long time. So my advice, be grateful Latin American building contractors have taken it upon themselves to build a tiny maid's quarters, lockout room in practically every house and apartment. Oh, and those maid's quarters, even when they're in a rich person's home, they're very Spartan. By the way, I promise, even if you're laughing about it now, I promise you will come to appreciate a maid's quarters in your own house. Suppose, let's say you've been renting a one-bedroom apartment. Then something happens health-wise and you end up immobilized or in a wheelchair. What are you going to do about that live-in nurse? Well, guess what? Your one-bedroom apartment will have a separate maid's quarters with bathroom. That's how it works down here. So don't laugh, snicker, or be surprised when your realtor tells you about the maid's quarters when you're apartment or house hunting. 
in time, you will be grateful that it's there. All right, moving on. I almost forgot to plug this seminar. You know, it's coming up in just a few short weeks now. Starts March 8th and goes through March 15th. We'll be hanging out in the Altiplano of Guatemala and the lowlands of El Salvador. For all the sign-up info and agenda, just go to expatplanb.com and click on the seminar link. By the way, not only does my seminar promise to give you a two- to five-year head start on your Plan B, it's guaranteed to be loads of fun with plenty of boots-on-the-ground action. All right, and finally, we've got this email from $1. He says, hello, Johnny. Yes, the word is going around in the States about bidets. They're catching on slowly. A couple of years ago, some friends had an online Amazon store, he says, and someone returned two bidets, the kind that replace your toilet seat. Not the full bidet, but the attachment. The one like you talked about. Anyway, they asked us if we wanted one because they couldn't do anything with them now. I never thought about owning one before, but we said, sure, what the heck, we'll try it. Maybe it'll change our lives, maybe it won't. So we installed it. It was pretty easy, actually, and we've never taken it off since. We actually love it, and it's been a game changer for us. Oh, and yes, we use a lot less toilet paper. I feel pretty good about saving the planet, too. Ever notice how they never talk about saving the people? It's just the planet, right? The people save the planet. Anyway, Johnny, this year we were at a New Year's party, and guess what? Suddenly the conversation about bidets came up. Wasn't me or the wife who brought it up. The couple that brought it up said, we've got one, and wow, it's a game changer. There you have it, Johnny. Signed, one dollar. By the way, speaking of toilets, bathrooms, and bidets and such, seems to be the theme of our podcast today, huh? Have you seen the reports lately of little businesses popping up that offer adults with a diaper fetish a place to party and hang out with other adults of that stinky persuasion? Yep, only in America where perverted adults with diaper-wearing fetishes can find each other online hang out in real time and enjoy their smelly fetishes together. And you wonder why the rest of the third world thinks we're nuts. That's why I've learned to love Latin American lag time. They haven't even gotten to pronouns down here yet. Not the Latin Americans anyway, but I understand. You can find all kinds of first world shit for brains wokesters hanging out on the gringo tourist trail. I understand Costa Rica, Cancun, and the rest of the tourist sites in Mexico are just full of American wokesters. I've seen a few in action, I've met a few, and I avoid them like the plague. By the way, there's a new movie out I highly recommend called American Fiction. It really lays waste in subtle terms sometimes to all the woke white liberal virtue signaling Hollywood and media hypocrites who pump out shit like Barbie and gay and lesbian Disney movies who suck up to Black Lives Matter and worship at the throne of CNN and the New York Times. Oh, and one more thing. Did you know that Ozzy Osbourne and his wife Sharon donated a million bucks to BLM, Black Lives Matter? How revolting is that? Then again, we are talking about Ozzy, the icon of psychotic behavior. Of course, that was in the early days when the media made crackhead, criminal repeat offender George Floyd a saint. Guess what? I saw Sharon Osbourne interviewed recently. She says her and Ozzy's lawyers are suing BLM. They want their money back. You've been listening to The Expat Files, living in Latin America. If you need some help with your own Plan B, we can schedule a one-on-one phone or Skype consult. Just send me an email, theexpatfiles at gmail.com. And if you want to get on the waiting list for my next week-long expat insider seminar in Central America, where you're guaranteed to get a two- to five-year head start on your Plan B, 
Send me an email, the expatfiles at gmail.com. Nos vemos. <laughs>